everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Mark of Athena. How are you doing, Jane? Oh, I'm I'm doing just fine. I'm in my optimal recording setup. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I have, like, four disassembled Gumpla just kind of lying around me. Uh-huh. In various states of, like, needing bits painted or, like, uh, top coats drying and stuff like that. So this is all, this is fine. You're, like, a machinist. You're, like, <laughs> sitting around with all these, like, disrepaired things that you're going to put back together. You're going to fix them. You're the Leo of the, of the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I do Leo things, but with fake machines that are made out of plastic. Exactly. Which is still pretty impressive. <laughs> I am doing perfectly fine. I'm, I'm enjoying a nice glass of water, and sometimes that's all you can ask for. That's true. I've got like a third of a bottle of room temperature water that I bought in a library earlier today. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> this is the true experience. God, I was at a restaurant earlier, and I felt like such a fucking genius because... The people in front of us were like, oh, and can we get a water? And they, like, went and grabbed, like, a bottle of water from the fridge and stuff like that. And, like, they had to pay for it. And it was like, $5, please. Yeah, exactly. But then we went up there, and we didn't ask for any drinks. And they just gave us free glasses of water. And we didn't have to pay for it at all. <laughs> so I think that I'm the real genius here. This is how this is how you're beating the, the cost of living crisis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well... That's my story. Uh, and here's Rick Riordan's story. Oh, fucking hell. Oh my god, we can't get into it yet, but this is... <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, This these chapters. Okay, should I do the summaries? Do do the summaries. I feel like the listeners can, can listen and judge for themselves just what the fuck we're dealing with here. Chapter 17, Annabeth. The gang escaped from Atlanta, mostly intact, setting course for Charleston so they can try and find the map that leads to the lost treasure of Athena. Jason and Reyna once visited Charleston to salvage Imperial gold from a Confederate submarine, confirming that, yes, the literal civil war was also a conflict between Greece and Romans. They decide to lead two parties, one consisting of Jason, Leo, and Frank, who's mostly preoccupied with being stuck in a finger trap, uh, will go to a museum, and Annabeth, Piper, and Hazel will go to a park, where Reyna once had a girls-only chat with some Southern Belle spirit. The main problem right now is that the Roman Eagle's are right behind them, so they have to waste the night sending out a decoy, aka Buford, and taking the long way. It'll be barely enough time to rescue Nico at this point, but they have to have hope. Annabeth uses the night to fiddle around on her Daedalus laptop while remembering how she had been having her once-a-week commiseration with Sally about Percy being gone when, on her way back, she met Athena at the subway. Unfortunately, Athena was half-caught between herself and Minerva in full rage mode of the Romans and forcing Annabeth, who she didn't even recognize, to take on the Mark of Athena quest. A knock at the door interrupts her, trying to piece together the clues, and Frank comes in shyly, asking Annabeth to explain how to get out of a finger trap to him. She does so, for which she's appreciative, and he lets her know that he has Percy's back no matter what. She asks him to try and trust everyone, but he's hesitant, using the timely dinner bell to get out before she can get a secret out of him. Chapter 18, Annabeth. 
It's Lanto and Charleston. Percy and Annabeth kiss goodbye. Percy jumps straight into the bay to try and talk to the local Nereids about how he can free the captives in Atlanta. And Annabeth leads her group to the park. Along the way, they admire the architecture, and Annabeth has a little think about the similarities between Rome and the American South, and how the South used Rome in their rhetoric. Eventually, they find the spirit who Reyna once talked to, who isn't a spirit at all, but Venus slash Aphrodite. She leads them in a proper confederate tea party, extolling the romantic virtues of how the South once was, before offering the kids her help. She explains that Athena was the most Greek of all the gods, and so had the most difficult time of all adjusting to the Roman change, especially as they took away her military importance. And, Annabeth's figured out, a very important statue. Because of that, it's the children of Athena who have been keeping the Greek feud against the Romans alive, orchestrating every civil war for that purpose. She points them to Fort Sumter, telling them the map is there, but they'll need to get past the Romans first. Chapter 19, Annabeth. Octavian and his eagle boys land, and command the girls to surrender to them. But Annabeth quickly dispatches them by dropping her dagger into the harbor, and summoning Percy, who erupts from the water, trapping most of the Romans in the wake. Then, they defend the Argo too, while sailing it straight for the fort. Chapter 20, Annabeth. The battle is raging harder at Fort Sumter, scaring a whole bunch of tourists. Jason, Frank, and Leah are fighting in the thick of it, including against Dakota, the Kool-Aid boy? But Annabeth commands them to return to the ship while she dodges into the fort. Problem is, the place is full of thousands and thousands of spiders, and Annabeth has been deathly afraid of those ever since she was a child, and they descended on her night after night, biting and crawling on her. Her parents never believed her, though, which was the final straw that drove her away from home. It's an arachne thing. You know, the weaver that Athena cursed into becoming the first spider due to her pride. Gaia pipes up at this point and lets her know that although Annabeth is her preferred sacrifice, she's fine to let Arachne take her revenge, and the spiders swarm toward her. At that moment, the symbol of Athena burns across the wall, incinerating the spiders and telling Annabeth to continue following the trail. She eventually finds the map in a mortar, but is stopped from getting back to the ship by Reyna. She wants Annabeth to come back and accept execution, to curb the Legion's bloodlust. Otherwise, they'll attack Camp Half-Blood. Annabeth refuses, insisting on the quest's importance, and instead asks Reyna to delay the march. The Praetor lets her go, but says that when they meet again, there'll be enemies in the field of battle, and Annabeth sprints back to the Argo too. Civil war has begun. So Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? I feel I'm feeling nostalgic. Uh-huh. I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pulled pulled back in time to a little book called The Son of Neptune. <laughs> uh-huh. Where the fir- the first couple of chapters of that were some really really impactful action scenes, some cool character moments, some bits that I genuinely really enjoyed. Uh combined with some of the most unhinged bullshit that rick has ever put in this series and i think this one actually tops it for that (laughs) i think it does that's exactly how i feel reading this yeah (laughs) like it's a little bit bad like along with that i think it's also just a little bit consistently higher quality wise than those that's true Uh, but oh my god what's happening i We've been joking for two books now. Well, I guess I guess one book, because we only found out the Civil War stuff at the end of the Lost Hero, but we've been joking for most of Son of Neptune that, like, oh, haha, the 
the Romans owned slaves, so they were probably like the Confederacy. But I, I thought the actual answer to that was just going to be like, oh, you know, the it, they weren't fighting in the in the actual civil war. They just had a war which paralleled it, which would allow Rick to dodge roll around the slavery dog turd, which he's in, instead elected to just kind of lie down in. Well, okay, okay, okay. So the thing that's happening here, right? Okay, first of all, this is really like me at this point. I have dog turd on my face because I've been the one who's like really insisting it. Like every time you joke about it, I'm like, no, no, it's just a parallel. <laughs> like I'm I'm the real asshole here. But okay, oh my... clear, I thought you were right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't. That is the truth. Um, here's what I will say. I think Rick Riordan is a smart man who is able to like read back what he wrote and realize what it sounded like. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think he thought, "Oh, this sound like I this sounds like I'm saying the Romans are like he he understands the implication of what he wrote and he's like, "Well, I guess I should probably just confront that because it's already out in the open for everyone to read." I don't want to like make it seem like I'm sidestepping it. I think that's uh-huh. fair. I think that's entirely fair. Um, this is insane. I, the way that he decided to confront it was to have Jason say, uh, not all Romans. Yeah, and, and it feels like Jason's being a bit of a, like, twerp there. Um, <laughs> like, just like, like, on purpose, I guess. Like, it feels like the text is portraying him as a bit of a twerp. I don't know, because Hazel just accepts, she's like, hey, uh, my grandmother was a slave, what the fuck? And Jason says, not all Romans, and then just move on. It's true, I... Do we want to... Uh-huh. I was about to say, do we want to take a step back and go through this kind of more sequentially? We we can if you want to, yeah, let's let's start, let's start Just because I feel like if we we don't, we're just going to talk about this all episode. I'm I'm almost fine with that because the, uh, it, that's basically the first thing that happens is Jason. Oh shit! Talks no, about... you're right. I, I scroll back to the top of my notes, and yeah, that's basically what happens first. Maybe we should just talk about this until we can't anymore, or we can we can <laughs> talk about everything else and then talk about this. How's that feel? Uh huh. Okay. Hey, Buford's back. Yeah, Buford is back. I'm really <laughs> I. It continues to just be the most important side story. The quest for so Buford. insane that that's how that worked out. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. <laughs> I, I'm incredibly happy to see Buford back, even for this very small role. I'm glad that he can fly now. It's it's very nice. It's good that he can fly. He can steal Frank's laundry and like use it to try and lure away the eagles. Yeah. Which I I guess doesn't work because because he kept all the laundry in a bag. Frank Frank keeps clean. You know, he he's not he's not very smelly. <laughs> yeah, but this actually chapter actually backing up even more does start with one of my favorite phrases, just one of my favorite sentences. Uh, uh-huh. th- this has a lot of like top tier like sentences slash paragraphs in these chapters. Mm. Uh, one of them is Annabeth saying that she's trying to comfort Hazel by telling her about some of Percy's biggest seaweed brain moments. <laughs> Which is just, that's very good. I love the phrase seaweed braid moments. Me getting blasted out of a volcano after killing a classroom full of kids who were receiving sex ed. This is such a seaweed brain moment. <laughs> oh my lord. I <laughs> This series is too much. I <laughs> Annabeth 
she doom scrolls like the rest of us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is literally just the portrait of her. Like she's on her laptop thinking about like every bad thing that's ever happened to her. Like heroes of Olympus characters be doom scrolling. This is what we learned. It's true. No, yeah, this is this really is the Piper and Annabeth connection. Like, <laughs> this. How, what do you think about this encounter with Athena? Uh, I really like this. I, I like some parts of it. I don't like other parts of it. I should say. Okay. Uh, I I really like how like weird and arbitrary they're being. Uh, uh, like uh, Minerva slash Athena is being like it's. It's been a while since we've had a god just be like, no, I am enraged by this thing, and this is my diktat as a divine being. Yeah, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Like, first of all, this is the most split, like, split we've seen any of these characters be. There's probably something to be said about, like, again, Rick Riordan has used the word schizophrenic specifically, uh, which is like very, like there's something to be said about how like Rick is portraying these characters as like, I don't know, using like specific phrases and like gestures at like mental illness and stuff like that. I mean, there is, there is the fact that this is uh, Athena cornering Annabeth in a subway and ranting at her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it, she's portrayed as like, wow, aren't the people you meet on the subway so kooky? This lady is homeless. Like, it's it's very much that kind of thing. Yeah. It, which Rick Riordan has never, he, he's always engaged in the sort of like base, I guess, sort of not not based, but base, uh, sort of like <laughs> humor. I guess humor. There's not. It's not even going for a laugh here, really. It's just portraying the image. Although it's not. It's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be. It's so sad that this this beautiful wise goddess has been reduced to a uh, ranting homeless person in a subway. Uh huh. Basically. Look how far she's fallen. And this is this is mostly effective insofar as we know Athena as a character. Uh, and so to see her like this is genuinely startling. Mm-hmm. Like, like we had heard about, like vaguely about this encounter from Annabeth. We knew that it went poorly, but to actually see it is like, wow, this is this is incredibly fucked up. <laughs> it's like, damn, I can see why, why Annabeth is uh, really putting in the effort to go and see Sally Jackson every week. I think she might kind of have a deep unmet need for like any kind of supportive mother figure in her life. No, really, like that's really <laughs> true, like. There's her stepmom, who this is the first time we've... This is, like, book three, I think. We talked about, like, her parents and stuff. Yeah, she pops up there. And she seems like just the sweetest old lady. And not, you know, really old, but she's just the sweetest lady. Yeah, she's and, just, like, a normal lady. And that's incredibly consistent with the way that normal people can be cruel to children. <laughs> like, in, in a way that, like, maybe they don't even know they're being cruel sometimes, but, like... This is an example to me of something that Rick always, like Rick is always going, you know, he's he's at bat for the kids. Yeah. This is a dynamic where Annabeth, because she is a child, is not to be believed. Her fears are dismissed and her like 
pretty re- pretty reasonable wants are also just like said no that's not good you have to like you have to learn like you mm-hmm. have to learn and grow up and you're not doing that because you want to do your silly child things <laughs> which yeah that 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 is what like a lot of normal parents would do and it would hurt a child like that yeah i like you you completely understand why it hurts annabeth but also this is not like the wicked stepmother from cinderella she's just a, a normal person who is kind of shitty exactly exactly i'm glad we finally get to see that side because i always felt that was kind of ambiguous like that was mm. obviously what it was sort of pointing to like that's the reason that annabeth feels so strongly in percy is like this this lady's just normal uh but i'm glad we actually get to see some of that from her perspective yeah definitely i sorry i wanted to talk about one more thing with athena please uh which is everything she talks about with like oh uh, i was kidnapped and carted off after the greeks conquered rome uh and then you know unspeakable things happened to me which uh have marked me to this very day i i don't think this is the deliberate implication that rick is trying to give but given the extremely grim shit that romans did whenever they won a battle i just i there 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 is an implication that i don't like i this is this is not something i i noticed at all i think it's really easy to write something that way like it's it's like the grand gesture at like oh something horrible happened uh specifically like said by a woman tends to be like gesturing at like sexual assault and things like that yeah uh and so i think when that happens in a lot of stories it can often feel like that is what's being gestured at is it here i don't know yeah i it maybe just jumped out at me because like it's it's just one of those things about the romans tm it's like one of their founding myths is kidnapping a bunch of women from other tribes which just means that like i don't know it's what popped into my head when i was reading this no definitely like that makes complete and total sense to me. I, can we talk about Frank here? Frank, Frank's back. Frank, uh, Frank is being Frank again. He's finally back to his normal character that he was, which is being <laughs> kind of a just an ador- adorable dope. And getting dunked on mercilessly by Leo. Leo, I don't know. Obviously, it's been a bit of a mutual give and take, but now Leo is like, come on, Leo. He's he, he's not doing anything. He's just there. You don't have to like, <laughs> you don't have to dunk on him. So he's like, oh, how like surely it must be worth two or three francs with our wanted poster. Yeah, that like making fun of Frank when he was stuck in the finger trap is like, that's that's whatever. That's, you know, he did a dumb thing. It makes sense that Leo is going to dunk on him a little. Saying that he's worth two or three francs just felt kind of mean. Yeah, no, really. It's it's not super playful like it's mostly just it mostly just feels like oh yeah frank isn't worth anything (laughs) (laughs) which isn't a nice thing to say about i guess they're not friends yet but it's not a nice thing to say about your crewmates it's it's not a nice thing to say about the boyfriend of the girl you're kind of maybe question mark trying to get with annabeth clearly thinks so at least there's there's a lot Mm. of romantic things that annabeth clearly thinks including that Leo must have a crush on Hazel and that Nico must have a crush on her. Yeah, this is this was very strange to read because I never got this impression at all. No. I think I think Annabeth is possibly flattering herself a little here. 
I guess so. Like, is this supposed to be... Is this supposed to be saying that there were some off-screen Nico-Annabeth interactions where Nico was, like, had a crush on her? I don't... Because they didn't even interact for most of um, Titan's Curse because Annabeth was uh, on Mount... Whatever whatever it was called. Orthus. Yeah, wait a second. Yeah. So when would they have... <laughs> Battle of the Labyrinth, I guess. I guess so. Hmm. It doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel authentic. I do think it would be extremely funny if this was actually true, and the reason that Nico didn't say anything to Percy in Son of Neptune was because he was like, fuck yes, this is my chance. <laughs> I can catch Annabeth on the rebound. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> this whole thing, like, Nico was like, okay guys, put me in the jar, I'll eat the pomegranates, this is all a quest <laughs> to get, this is all an attempt to get Annabeth here. When I get out of the jar, I'll be suffocating, and Annabeth will have to give me the kiss of life. Oh my god. <laughs> this is like major, major incel move. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to say it about the kid, but if I didn't know it lied in his future. I... <laughs> and if, again, there was absolutely zero evidence in the text that he was into Annabeth. No, no, not none at all. I, <laughs> I, I truly do not. Like, there was the ranch. Were they at the ranch together? Yeah, the most romantic thing at all of all, being held hostage by a psychotic farmer while Percy uh, washes away horse shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, they must have They must have had some great conversations while he's doing that. I do think it's funny. Uh, uh, Rachel Elizabeth Dare has really grown into her new role. Yeah. Uh, plot hole sealant. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where they're just casually like, oh yeah, um, the reason that Jason never just kind of popped back over to Camp Jupiter to say, hey, is Percy here? Uh, is because uh, Rachel looked into the future and saw that they needed to go back with Iago. So they did that. Yeah, no, it's really funny. Rachel's mentioned twice here. Once mm-hmm. is at that point, and the other is when Annabeth is like, oh, Percy had this huge crush on Rachel Elizabeth Dare. And uh, we've talked about this extensively. It makes sense that Annabeth thinks that, I guess. Um, uh, it, it makes sense with how she was characterized that she thinks that. No, I think I think Annabeth's right is the thing. Really? They kissed. They kissed in Last Olympian. Oh! I'm gonna be honest, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I, th- I think I've, like, mythologized the storyline to, like, they were just friends and Annabeth was being, like... Like, I don't know, was be like super overreacting about it. That was how it started, but then they that, actually did kiss. Yeah, that was that was basically the case in like Titan's Curse and Battle of the Labyrinth. Uh and then in, in Last Olympian, uh they do kiss and uh Rachel uh, later rejects Percy and Percy is very broken up about it. Right. That is an entire part of the story. <laughs> I have to say, I kind of wish well, get Rachel on this trip. I don't know, like she could be a cool character to have here. Yeah, definitely. She'd be, she'd be a better... She'd also probably be a better chaperone than Coach Hedge. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, you say that. You say that. That would mean two love triangles on one ship. Ugh. <laughs> no, but, like, at that point, you're adding in another element to, like... You could basically have Rachel in a love triangle with any of these characters. Oh, uh, that's true. Like, what if it was, like, a Rachel-Jason-Piper love triangle? <laughs> Rachel and Piper really bonded while they were at Camp Half-Blood together. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. 
Ah, well. And like, you know, they're bonding over prophecies now. Uh, Piper's like seeing stuff in a knife and the only person who really understands what that's like is Rachel. And they kiss. Exactly. It's it's just true. I <laughs> I keep wanting to talk about elements of the story, but it, it all leads back, like 90% of this all leads back to the same place. Um, should we talk wanna, about... Wait. Uh-huh. I do want to quickly say that it was a genius move by Rick Ryden to uh, get seven characters and give them a bunch of relationship drama and make sure that the main setting for all of it is a ship. Oh my god. <laughs> this is this is the 500 IQ writing that keeps us in this series, no matter how many unhinged Civil War tangents he goes on. Oh, you're right. I, okay, <laughs> one final thing, and then we can spend the next Chuck's Watch like, <laughs> 20 to 30 minutes talking about this. Um, let's, let's, should we discuss Arachne? Oh, <laughs> we don't have to discuss Arachne if it's a bit too much for you. Oh no, this is just my general impression of, of those bits. Uh-huh. That's my, that's my discussion. Jane has homophobia, which means she's scared of spiders. <laughs> uh, it's true. Fuck Nico and fuck spiders. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, my notes just say, God, the fucking spiders. I Ah, yeah, no, the spiders are scary. Uh, there's a weird bit here where Athena, where I keep calling Annabeth Athena and Athena Annabeth. <laughs> you also uh, call the spiders. Uh, you said that um, Annabeth was hoarded by a swarm of spiders during the summaries. Hoarded by a swarm of spiders? What does that mean? I assume you meant swarmed by a horde of spiders and you got the words mixed up. That's really funny. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. That's what I have written down here. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. No, but there's a bit here where Annabeth is like, oh, of course, Arachne is the weaver who is the weaver who uh, Athena turned into a sp- into the first spider because of her pride. Mm-hmm. And then, like a couple of paragraphs later. Gaia is like, I must let the Weaver have her revenge. And Annabeth is like, who's the Weaver? <laughs> oh god, I fucking forgot about that. Why does she say this? I, 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 I have to assume that this is like a hasty editorial decision. Where someone uh-huh. was like, Rick, you can't just drop in another extremely obvious and heavily foreshadowed plotline. It's just going to get annoying to the reader. Just say who it is. And Rick forgot to change the, the actual bit where Gaia drops that. I like that idea. <laughs> Maybe it's the other way around. They're like, ooh, you have to keep up the suspense. Like, I, we know you already said it, but just just have Annabeth ask. The back key, the backspace key on your keyboard is broken, but you just need to... <laughs> you just need to go in and add a few lines. It's This fine. is also why you can't take out any of the Civil War stuff. We keep sending you notes about it, but... <laughs> Oh god, okay, let's get into it. Let's let's get it. Oh my god. Okay. So, do you want to outline everything we learn about this here? I I will do my very best. Uh so, we we learn that canonically, yes, uh Camp Upload was the Union, Camp Jupiter was the Confederacy. They were both fighting. There was a little bit of crossover, but they were both mostly basically fighting on opposite sides of this war. Uh, what else? What else do we learn? Actually, I think that's the main thing we learn. A lot of mm-hmm. it is just like batshit commentary. Oh, okay, I've forgotten something. What did I forget? Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So the main thing you've forgotten that affects this is that we learn that the children of Athena have been the main have been the main drivers of all of these oh. civil wars. <laughs> what this implies, <laughs> what this means, because the children of, of Athena, as directly stated in this chapter, were the union. This means that, in a sense, the Confederacy was right about <laughs> it be. They, how do I phrase this? One might say that this was, in fact, a war of northern aggression. Oh, uh, <laughs> I hadn't. I that hadn't even crossed my mind. But you're right. That's that. I I can't tell if this is supposed to be implying that like Abraham Lincoln was a son of Athena. Probably. Like, kind of, or if it's like the the they specifically engineered this. Like, the children of Athena were setting up, like, um, slave refuges and, like, protesting against slavery and stuff like that. And it was all with the secret evil intention of starting a war. I which, don't... of course, underlies all abolitionism. I don't know. It's... <laughs> How the fuck does this... What does this mean? What does it mean? <laughs> like... Oh my god, did they like, maybe they like whispered in someone's ear like like one day, like, oh, you know, you could just secede from the United States if you wanted to. And then they like, let back across to the north and what? They're just going to keep establishing free states forever. You'll be outvoted in the Senate. I, there's something here. There's something horrifying here. I understand why Rick wrote this because... Uh-huh. You have to confront this. If if Rick never if Rick never wrote about like, okay, what the fuck does it mean? What's all this civil war shit mean? That would have been the coward's maneuver, right? Mm-hmm. Um he doesn't do it super excellently here. So sometimes oh. given the choice between two options, the coward's maneuver is the better way to go, is what I'm gonna say. Sometimes I, I think this could have been done so much better. There oh, are yeah. parts of it that work. There are parts of it that work. One of them is the whole Aphrodite slash Venus thing really works, I think. I love this characterization for Aphrodite. She would absolutely be the kind of person who romanticizes the shit out of uh, the antebellum South. It's something that uh, after after Aphrodite's appearance in The Lost Hero, where we really took sort of a more sympathetic eye toward her... <laughs> um, <laughs> showing i'm gonna guess this is more venus than aphrodite but she says that she's one of the ones that stays more consistent across both Mm. um showing venus is like here's a different side to her this is she loves the like the pretty dresses and the parties that the confederates were having (laughs) like she's reading gone with the wind and sighing dreamily exactly that's exactly it (laughs) it's it makes so much sense with everything we know about her and i Mm. love that like I love that it's not just like, okay, now that she was nice in The Lost Hero, she's nice forever. That's not how these got. that's not how the gods work. Yeah, I, I do like that, like, they, you know, they've got, they've, they've got multidimensionality. Sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're complete shitheads. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of accurate to what the Greek gods are like in mytho- mythology. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> like, her talking about, like, oh, I had this wonderful party with General Lee, and, like... <laughs> We, I danced with Ares, and oh my god, it's it's horrific. Just, like, her saying this while Annabeth is, like, 
having a crisis about architecture. <laughs> like she, <laughs> she's having like a crisis about like the morality of architecture and like Hazel and Piper are both just like, okay, we, I don't know. They're having the like, like Annabeth, the white person of the group is having this like existential realization that like both of her friends have already probably come to about like the realities of racism in America. Okay, I the, the the thing that I had thought was like, oh, I mean, yeah, we're just seeing it from Annabeth's perspective because, like, you know, she's the character that we're following. But I actually, I, I much prefer your idea. That, like, Annabeth is freaking out about this, and Hazel is just like, ah, yeah, did you not, did you not figure this out yet? It has that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say a thing about Aphrodite, please. Uh, which is that Rick uh, missed an open goal. Okay. Uh, to just be like even a little bit like body positive about like fat people because like there's there's a specific line that jumped out at me when they're like having tea with aphrodite which was like oh all these cakes are probably very fattening unless you were venus slash aphrodite and i'm like no you idiot you almost had it if you you could have just had aphrodite's venus form like be kind of fat because that's literally where like the venusian body type comes from yeah and you could have even worked in some educational stuff about some history about, like, you know, changing beauty standards over time. You fucking idiot. You could have... It, it, it was right there. It was right fucking there. It was right there. And <laughs> no, it's... If you're hot, you don't... Oh, my God. I'm going to have to talk about Hades really fast. Uh, if, if you're going for this mythological view of hotness, you have to be skinny and well-muscled. Uh, and this is this is unfortunately also the super giant method of thinking. Okay, I, I, I want to... Because I keep seeing people saying that there are no fat characters in Hades, and I, I do agree that there's like no major ones. But like I, I thought Sisyphus was fat. Am I, am I crazy? That's always how his sprite read to me, at least. Hmm. This is a muscle man to me. Oh, okay. I thought he was kind of like he's 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 like um the the butcher from Full Metal Alchemist. He's got like he's got a lot of paunch, but he's got the muscly arms. Ah, uh, yeah, I. I would see that, but I don't see any paunch. Uh, I, I, I'm looking at him right now, and I just don't see any. I mean, to be clear, even if I was right, the criticism that is being made is completely correct that none of the major characters are anything other than skinny or muscly. It's true. It's sad. I, yeah. Come on, Hades too. Br- bring, 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 it, bring it home. Please. Do, do what Rick Ryden apparently can't. God. Also, don't talk about the Civil War. Also, don't. <laughs> what if we discovered that Hades has been happening at the exact same time as the Civil War this entire time? <laughs> oh my god. Um, fuck. What else? The part in chapter twenty where the chapter twenty starts with the line: "The real Civil War has now begun." Uh, I think is what it says. The I think it was the new Civil War had begun. The new Civil War had begun. In context, awful, but like just just viewed as like a part of this story, absolute banger opening for a chapter. It is, it is, and the overall direction of the story, like we haven't like Reyna confronting Annabeth, is one of the best parts here. I love this scene. We're going to march on Camp Half Blood if you if you don't let yourself die as a sacrifice. That's that's good. That's so good. That's great writing. Yeah, this is like this is again gesturing at like those Roman politics that we're always like very hungry for. 
where Reyna is like, she's not saying, you know, come back and make this right. She's like, come back, let me put on a show trial and execute you. And that might give me enough political capital to rein Octavian in and get this shit under control. I love that Reyna is like, she's cold. She's like, she's, she's ready to do it because (laughs) she, at this point, what she cares about the most is the political power she has. She she understands that Octavian is gaining that power, and like she doesn't want there to be a civil war, like probably just for moral reasons also, but mm-hmm. because it would be bad for her position. Absolutely, yeah. This this would be Octavian's way to propel himself to even greater power. This is the kind of character, like the character motivation that you don't often see, um, from just like I guess like run of the mill kids book. Mm-hmm. This is a character who is motivated by a lot of very complex ideals and i think that's cool as hell uh it's cool as hell it sucks that she is i guess technically not only part of an enclave of the roman empire but also an enclave of the confederate states of america listen <laughs> i guess so oh man i cry okay wait okay going back going back um jason's whole reaction to this is He's like, he basically is like, oh yeah, I already knew all this. I just never told you about it. Um, <laughs> he's, he like put, he literally like puts his hands in front of them. Like, like, don't attack me here. But, and is like, listen, <laughs> not all Confederates were Romans. Like not all, like we, we were different. Uh, and you know, there, like, there some, were some Southerners who were against slavery, you know? <laughs> no, it, it has that vibe so much. <laughs> and like, this is weak. This is incredibly weak. Hazel being like, hey, my grandma was a slave. I take offense to that. She says it, it's not so cool. limp. She says, she, doesn't she just say not cool? Yeah. Like, that's yeah, I'll, not... I'll check the exact line, but... Okay. Because it's something like that. And that's just, like, limp. Like, that's not... <sighs> It's such a small thing that it is, like, used to segue into um, uh, Jason and Leo apologizing for uh, saying a kind of fucked up thing about Leo. That's the, the, the kind of the level that we're viewing this on. Yeah, exactly. not cool. She says not cool. Can I just say not cool? <laughs> she says, as a girl whose grandma was a slave, can I just say, not cool. There has never been a sentence I've read more in my life that has been... I mean, I've read worse sentences, but this uh-huh. is the this is so incredibly, like, dismissive and minimizing. It's, it's, it's a wretched little sentence, and it, it absolutely shows how valued Hazel's perspective is in the narrative right now, which is not a lot. It is so insane to me that she doesn't, like, defect to Camp Half-Blood on the spot. <laughs> Honestly. The thing is, like... I mean, she and Frank seem to be, like, basically halfway there. Frank, at the very <laughs> least, is like, hey, I don't really care about all this stuff. I'm just gonna follow Percy. Like, yeah. I, 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 I I, know Percy. I trust Percy. I care about him. Like, I'll, I'll follow him wherever. I think that's... Uh, I'm glad that the lines have sort of been blurred in that way and that we're getting all these different allegiances. But yeah. Hazel Hazel's perspective, I think, has been it's it's been diminished since the first book she was in. Yeah. She did not get a satisfying narrative in The Son of Neptune at all. 
Absolutely not. It got completely... It got shuffled into one of Frank's chapters and then it was fucked up anyway. Exactly. And I think this is just further evidence of that. Like, if there's any character in this book getting the short stick, it's Hazel. Because at this point, like, we've talked about Frank kind of being hollowed out um, to mostly serve as part of the love triangle thing, but Hazel's main thing has just been, oh, I remember Sammy, and Leah looks like Sammy. It's it's object like it's 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 hazel is full object mode like uh-huh. she is the object of affection and she's not getting much beyond that there's a line in the <laughs> part of why i have to interpret annabeth's like racism realization as like a counterpoint to like piper and hazel already kind of understanding and like not going through the same thing is because the actual line that i'm thinking of here is Annabeth goes in this, like, really long, like, nuanced, complex thought about, like, wow, you know, like, this really, like, con- like Southern Amer- American South propaganda relied a lot on Rome. Like, what does that mean? What does it say? I have to think about this. Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next line is actually just, Hazel and Piper didn't have anything to say, or something like that. It, which... <sighs> I think it's, it's happening in internal monologue, which makes it a little more excusable. <laughs> Yes, but it's just but like it's, it's insane that you wouldn't take the opportunity to have Annabeth say this out loud so that Piper and Hazel can say something. That's that's yeah. Yeah. Like it it because otherwise it just portrays them as like, oh, they don't have any thoughts. Like they're not they're they're not thinking here. Which like P- Piper saved from a little bit by being a pers- by being a perspective character in this book. Hazel does not have that uh luxury. Uh-huh. Also, it's extremely funny to me that Annabeth has like she has the the entire thought of like, wow, the Confederacy used um, its connection to Rome to kind of like legitimize itself, and to kind of uh, use this propaganda to cover up all the horrible shit it did. And neither Annabeth nor the book makes the jump to like, hey, isn't that what we're always saying America's doing? But it's good when America does it. Oh, man! It's right there. It's one one fired neuron away. It really is. <laughs> That's that's the neuron that can't fire for the series to exist. <laughs> it's true. How do you feel about the Mark of Athena quest in general? Because we're ca- kind of getting a broader picture of it, which is that it seems to be like a big scavenger hunt. It's a big scavenger hunt. And yeah, we're like, it. we're almost halfway through this book and we still don't really know what the details are. Yeah. So it's... I... Mm-hmm. I was thinking earlier that there is an element of the scavenger hunt that I like, which is a lot of the other road trip stories are kind of like, um, it feels like they set a destination at the start, and then everything feels like random encounters on the way there, because it's just kind of shit that gets in the way. It's just kind of the guff that happens between leaving camp and the actual ending of the book. So I do like that um, instead we seem to be like developing it as we go. They go to a place, they find a clue... They figure out what they need to do, and then they go to another place. It makes it feel less stop and start, even though it's about the same amount of stop and start. That's really true. I think it's a it's a small but effective twist on the formula. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're always we're always talking about the formula here, the road trip formula that Rick Riordan has to stick to, and <laughs> just like adding this one bit in, like oh, they have to find different things which are d- at different places. Like great, it's, it's as good as that. 
You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I was, I was bitching about the road trip formula last book wearing thin, and this is enough of a change that I'm not going to bitch about it this time yet. <laughs> it could, I guess it could wear thin, but here's the sigh. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I want to talk about a really fucking fascinating line that Aphrodite says. Okay. Uh, you're all such good stories, girls. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> That's... Ooh, this is juicy. To to clarify, she's like talking about all their love lives, and mm. she says like, "You're all yeah, you're all such good stories," and then quickly corrects herself to calling them girls instead. A, that's some fascinating insight on the way that gods view mortals. I get. It. I feel like I bring this up every other episode. It lines up so well with what Dionysus says in Last Olympian about like. You know, we got to get the demigods to uh, act out the old quest to kind of keep our beliefs alive. That's just the the idea that like so at least some of the gods seem to view them not as people but as vessels for like forcing into like a story structure. Yeah, just, that's yeah. Even if they're not doing the original quests, they are still making myths and stories for the gods to be fueled by yeah this is kind of like um this is a weird comparison maybe you have you watched death note yes are are the gods are kind of like the shinigami in death note like they are they're like eternally bored slowly decaying and the only thing they get out of life is like the interests of the stories that they try to prod along that like on the mortals below. Yeah, I can see that actually. That's a really good comparison. I I thought of something much worse as a point of comparison. What? Which is the, the god the gods are the exiles typing away on their little terminals to make these kids do their quests. Oh my god. <laughs> this is what you did to me, you asshole. No, that's true. I, I, yes, that's true that I did that to you. But you could really like look at this. You could look at the gods as a sort of author here. Like mm-hmm. the gods are driving the narrative along. They're creating the narrative. They're pushing it because to exist, they need the story to exist, which is kind of. And they need specific stories to exist for each of them so they will, like, fight over control of a narrative and, like, interfere with each other's quests and stuff like Aphrodite does in Titan's Curse. Yes. Yes, definitely. So, I guess you could compare that to, like, the author. The author needs the stories they create to exist or else they will not be the author anymore. (laughs) Otherwise, Rick Ryden will be out of a fucking job and have to go back to teaching history. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Man. What what were his classes like? I I want to say that I hope his curriculum uh, was better than this, but I doubt it. I will say, for all the negative stuff I've said, this book really is honestly even addressing a lot of my worries about how this was going to go. Mm-hmm. I was I was really concerned about like them hitting the Mediterranean and they're just kind of like not being the Roman threat anymore. I'm glad that this is. I'm glad that this is taking the root of, like, Annabeth having to make the big choice. It's confronting her with the threat of losing Camp Half-Blood. And will she still... Does she care enough about Camp Half-Blood? Or does she care more about, like, this quest and saving the world? And I... I, Because it's shifted to that dimension, I think basically all my worries about, like, that have, have gone. 
Yeah, I I was so quietly certain that Rick was um, gonna kind of because um, we talk a lot about like consequences for things being set up and then never followed through on. Like you catch fire if you eat too much um, ambrosia or something. Uh huh. And I thought that this book was going to be like, oh, we came this close to starting a real war, but we didn't quite get there. So like, yeah, I I really appreciated the like curveball that is. No, they are having to actually like fight their way through a roman legion that this is like you know nobody's died yet but this is like actual open warfare yes i love that there are just like um i love that there are just like tourists around (laughs) (laughs) this is some classic pjo stuff of just like there are mortals around who have to like reconcile what's happening like oh these are definitely just reenactors which also is juicy yeah it's a it's a it's a grim it's grim when you realize how right those tour guides are. Yes, they are reenacting <laughs> the civil war in a very real way. Percy seems to be doing like exposure therapy on himself. Uh huh. Oh he's like, yes. Yeah, he just he just gets in the water unprompted. So it's very strange that he's doing that just after we learned about his new hydrophobia. It is strange. It seems like percy is a character who's very motivated by like i need to help people sometimes mm-hmm. uh and so it makes sense that he's like wow these are like my these are all water siblings to me i need to help them that's true yeah i and also i love that it facilitates uh other, more really good percy and annabeth relationship stuff yeah this is the best moment in the chapter yeah, where we like, oh, let's demonstrate uh, the amount that these two trust each other and know about each other uh, just by having Annabeth be like, okay, uh, we've, we've been cornered by Octavian, we're fucked. I'm just going to throw my knife in the water because Percy knows that I would never lose that shit and he'll know to come up and help. Exactly. No, this exact. I want to just like read the scene. It's so good. It's, yeah. This is like one of my favorite scenes in like the last few books. So Annabeth throws her knife into the water uh, Annabeth tried for a dumb blonde smile, like, oh, silly me. Nobody who knew her would have been fooled. But Octavian seemed to buy it. He huffed in exasperation. You other two, he pointed his blade at Hazel and Piper. Put your weapons on the dock. No funny biz all around the Romans. Charleston Harbor erupted like a Las Vegas fountain putting on a show. When the wall of seawater subsided, the three Rowans were in the bay, spluttering and frantically trying to stay afloat in their armor. Percy stood on the deck, holding Annabeth's dagger. You dropped this, he said, totally poker-faced. Annabeth threw her arms around him. I love you. God, no, just like him being like, uh, you dropped this. Like, like he instantly teleports to her. It's so cool. Per- Percy is not allowed to be this cool. What the fuck? It's the coolest he's ever been. I'm certain of it. Like, <laughs> it's, he, I, I, can't describe i mean i i can't describe just like the feeling of reading this had my like heart pumping for like how excited i was for this series again like this is one of those like set of paragraphs that makes me like wow this is the coolest like one of this has to be the coolest kids book out there like this has to be like the coolest series out there kids have to read this (laughs) again this is fucking ryden's trick that he can put this like this level of good shit on the in, the in the same chapter as all this other stuff that we have been complaining about for the past hour. Yeah, God, absolutely. Uh, just a last note on uh, all that stuff we were complaining about. Please. Uh, the fact that we... It, it's weird enough that we established that Camp Jupiter is like, you know, it's the, the 
they were the confederacy they've apparently slave holding is a consistent thing that they're into uh it's it's honestly kind of fucking vile the the kind of central conceit of this book seems to be like choose your side go to rickryden.com and and click on the side that you want to be on like it's fucking batman v superman or something oh yeah i mean this is the classic like star wars thing like are you in the rebellion or are you for the empire or whatever yeah yeah but that's not even like oh we we've made the the fascist imagery so iconic that it's kind of been divorced from its original context this is just no we, we're saying out loud that it's the confederacy <laughs> that's true that's actually very true <laughs> anyway yeah tr- truly vile shit uh seven out of ten chapter oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i th- i guess that's my final thing too is just like for all the all the whack shit in here it's, I'm, I'm like not in, this did not dampen my excitement to read the rest of the book at all the world the world would be a simpler and easier place if Rick Ryden was a worse writer because we could have quit the series this is really true <laughs> this would not be like a five year podcast if that was true <laughs> we're heading up on year two god that's genuinely insane to me we have episode 100 in just a few episodes <laughs> wait will episode 100 be our uh, hun- uh, like one year anniversary as well because i think we've missed two to re- that we replaced with um natural of the pods whatever it'll be near enough it'll be close it'll be close we'll, we'll we'll do something special for it yeah but for now our intro and outro music is super mario ocean by space pony you can find that at oc remix our cover art is by vera at insmith underscore in we are hosted by the wonderful Moonshot Network. You can find them at Moonshot Pause on Twitter and Moonshot Network on Twitch, I think. Uh, lots of special stuff coming up. We're going to be doing another season of Dead Teen House Party in January. Hell yeah. And uh, there's, there's some cool stuff coming up. If you want to send pitches in, you can't do that anymore. You're too late. <laughs> they closed a couple days ago. If you sent a pitch in, well... You'll hear about it in January. We got a bunch of them. We need time. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter and everywhere else. At Unwise Girls. You can find our social medias, our link to our email, our Discord server, etc., etc. And if you want to support us, you can go and leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, you can tell your friends about us. You can do all that cool stuff. Or if you want to support us monetarily with your cash, you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where... For just a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. And for $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, on the last episode, uh, we we uh, gave out our own personal game awards, because the actual game awards was even shittier than usual this year, so we decided to just do our own. Uh, and continue to talk about Homestuck. We're rolling up on the end of it distressingly quickly. This is true. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. I also want to say before we sign off, uh, if you go to the Patreon, if we reach $50 a month, we're going to be releasing a second podcast. A little, a little limited series, Ditty. 
It's a limited series. Uh, should I? It's it's called Supernatural. I, did we release this to the main feed or the bonus feed? The uh, cast I think, episode. I think it's out on the. I think we put it on the main feed. Let me have a quick look. I don't think we did. Supernatural is a show. We did a test episode of this on our, on our Patreon feed, so if you want to, you can sign up and see that if you want to. Basically, it's a show where we are going to be going through the entirety of Supernatural and uh, figure out what the fuck it's about based entirely on the IMDb summaries, creating our own plot as we go. Uh, we tested this out with uh, a season of Firefly, and it was some of the most fun I've ever had podcasting, and I would really <laughs> love to be able to do this. Uh, so if like four of you support at $5 a month or like some more of you at like less, then we could get that and we would release that publicly. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be, it would, neither of us have ever seen Supernatural before. All I know about it is, um, uh, the guy getting sent to Turbo Hell because he was gay. Oh, we'll have to figure out Turbo Hell for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But as we always say, at the end of every single episode see you next week fellow union soldiers (laughs) oh christ see you next (laughs) week camp (laughs) half-blood see you next week camp half-blood bye bye Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. Ah. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's We should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's a it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday.